Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Pediatric Consult. I'm Dr. Jill Schaffeld, your host for today. I'm a pediatrician in the Cincinnati area and I'm excited to be here for today's discussion. Today we will consult with Dr. Nicole Baldwin and Dr. Melissa Young on social media and online safety. Dr. Baldwin is a general pediatrician in the Cincinnati area and Dr. Young is a doctor of psychology um, with the Division of Behavioral Medicine and Clinical Psychology at Cincinnati Children's. So let's start um, by learning a little bit about our guests. Um, we'll have Dr. Baldwin go first. If you could share just a few sentences about your background, maybe how long you've been practicing, um, any special interests you have. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I am a general pediatrician in Cincinnati at Northeast Cincinnati Pediatrics. I trained here at Cincinnati Children's a long time ago, <laughs> about 20 years ago. And um, I would say, you know, I am very active on social media myself um, and have definitely interest in kind of social media as communicating um, health information for people. And I'm very interested in how adolescents are interacting and in, in on social media and things like that. Wonderful. And that's it. Very excited um, as I've followed along with you on your social media journey um, to have you here. So welcome. Thanks. Thank you. And then Dr. Young, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe how long you've been practicing, how long you've been practicing at Cincinnati Children's. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, I've been at Cincinnati Children's for three years and I am embedded within our division of adolescent and transition medicine where I work with teens and young adults all day. So you can imagine that social media concerns come up pretty frequently. Um, prior to coming to Cincinnati Children's three years ago during the height of the pandemic, I was at the hospital for sick children um, in Toronto. Oh, okay. Definitely lots of, of different perspectives. So, well, let's go ahead and just kind of delve right in. So our conversation, as we mentioned today, is on social media. Um, and online safety. And as I mentioned, this is a little bit of a different topic than many other, you know, just straight medical topics and guides for um, primary care physicians on, um, you know, how to deal with specific medical conditions. But I think this is such an important thing because it's maybe something that gets overlooked often. Um, so I'd like to focus today on an overview just of social media and some of the dangers that it can pose to children and, and young adults. Um, so first, just if in either one of you are welcome to take this question, um, can anyone just kind of share a quick overview of youth involvement in social media and online presence? Yeah, um, there's different ranges in terms of the estimates of youth's um, involvement in social media, but overall, throughout the developmental period of adolescence and young adulthood, um, AYAs as I often refer to them, about 90% of them will have used some form of social media during this developmental period. And the most common um, forms of social media used today are TikTok, as I'm sure that is the case for some of our adults too that are listening in, as well as Instagram and Snapchat. And the average age of initiating social media use has been um, getting lower over time and it's currently at 12 years of age. Wow. That's pretty impressive, and I'm sure that has changed over the last few years. Um, I just am kind of prepping and looking at some things for this podcast. I also saw that 87% of American teens actually have an iPhone, or, um, which is, is pretty impressive, too, when you think only. And that, that data just said teens, so I'm wondering if that was, and I'm not sure, 13 and up, but... Um, pretty wild mm -hmm. right because yeah. access to a lot of things that maybe we're not always you know used to them having access to okay. 
Um, I also saw when you mentioned you actually came during the height of the pandemic that non-school related screen time among teens doubled over the last three years from pre-pandemic estimates of a little over three and a half hours a day to more than seven hours per day. So that was pretty mm-hmm. telling too. Mm-hmm. So um, definitely lots of contact with, you know, all these different um, social media platforms. So, so let's just kind of move on in terms of, we talked a little bit about like percentage of usage, average age, you said was 12 now, it which is, is, 12. is quite young. So 12 would be about sixth, seventh grade, yeah. somewhere mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. there too. So um, any specific concerns just to kind of put out there for physicians about adolescent brain development that might make them more susceptible at this age? I can start with that. Sure. I mean, I think we, we know that, you know, and I talked to my adolescents about this, those brain connections are forming and they're so susceptible to that dopamine rush that they get from we've known with substance research right and the younger kids start substances they're more likely to be addicted and i don't think social media is that different i don't know that we have actual scientific data for that yet but that will probably come someday to know that those likes and those clicks and all of that stuff that they're seeing they're particularly susceptible i think to having that kind of addictive behavior And then they're also developing their sense of self and autonomy and they're seeing all of these images online and they're so susceptible to what does this person look like in comparison and it's just a very vulnerable time and then they're faced with these images it's it's really frightening actually how how they can interact yeah, with how that susceptible you know? they yeah are. yeah i think that's a great analogy i never thought of you know substance abuse and social media but you know the addictive qualities yeah. of both and i think that is that's a really awesome analogy mm-hmm. to think about um anything that you had to add dr young in terms of like brain development and age yeah exposed? i think um, everything that dr baldwin mentioned is so salient I also think a lot about learning theory and reinforcement and on social media it's very often the case that we will do things that we typically wouldn't do in our everyday life. And so if teens and young adults are getting lots of likes and lots of responses, even for negative or harmful or risky behaviors, that can significantly increase the likelihood that they'll continue with those behaviors. Um, And that can cause problematic interactions socially with parents in the school environment. And often, because we know the prefrontal cortex is not fully developed and functioning, they're not thinking through the problem-solving aspect of this. What are the consequences of these behaviors? Mm-hmm. And um, I know at the, the forefront of their mind, it's not, well, this is going to stick with me forever, because the reality is once we put it out there, it's out there forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen teens who have done things with regards to sending photos of themselves, sending messages of themselves, and getting responses back from adults that they know are older, and that is just so incredibly reinforcing, even if they know in that moment it's maybe not the best decision, but that reinforcement and that um, response that they're getting, not only socially, but also in terms of the brain, like you mentioned, with with substance use and those those connections in the brain is just so strong, mm-hmm. um, which can create so many problems for them long-term. It's interesting, you know, I thought, obviously, I'm I'm prepared a little bit for this podcast, but listening to you talking, being a current parent of a teen and an almost teen, oh, yes, I mean, this, and I I don't want to make this a teen bashing episode, but I feel like I'm saying all the time, even to my husband, like, 
our 15-year-old is, <laughs> you know, everything. Mm -hmm. So when you just talk about those immediate reactions and not taking the time to think and all those, you know, connections. And I'm like, they're just wired differently right. at this right. age, right? And they mm -hmm. really are just in all aspects. But how... Um, Poignant that is for their social media mm -hmm. usage as well. So, but I absolutely. think it's also important to to not always blame the teens, but mm -hmm. think about the algorithms of these social media platforms. So, absolutely. these platforms are designed to not only kind of encourage this addictive behavior, but you know, we need to educate our teens that they're continually shown the content that they look at. And so when you have a particularly vulnerable teen who's maybe looking at content, you know, perhaps it's eating disorders, perhaps it's, you know, substance use, whatever, then that algorithm continues to feed them and feed them that content. So in a way, our poor teens are set up for failure when they're Absolutely. on these platforms and we need to educate them so that they understand why they're seeing all of these things it feels like everybody's doing it because the platform is feeding them that content when the reality is not everybody is doing it right. you know no that is that is a great point and you're right it's it's they're almost more vulnerable mm -hmm. to you know the the algorithm so wow yeah. um it, it may be this might be a question that um no one has a great answer to, and that's okay. That's, you know, why we're here discussing it. But um, any data on incidents or how often um, PCPs may see patients for conditions that could be rooted in or affected by social media or online present presence? And I guess this is hard because it's a pretty broad question. So we, you know, anxiety, depression, all kind of go um, kind of intertwined together bullying, cyberbullying, and so on, but um, just didn't know if either one of you had any information to share along those lines. I don't have exact data. Do you have yeah. exact data? Um, I have a little bit of data and a lot of anecdotal um, experience okay. as well. Mm -hmm. um, Dr. Baldwin, I would say sleep is probably one of the primary concerns that yes. comes up with social yes. media use. Um, we often see in our teen health clinic that caregivers will come and say, my child has insomnia, and we dive in, and it's like, well, they're up till 4 a.m. on their phone every day. So mm -hmm. um, if we were to be able to change that through some behavioral interventions to modify the sleep pattern, would we still see those same patterns? Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm curious what you see in your practice oh, related to sleep yeah. and social media use. Absolutely. I think and it, it feels like almost every mental health problem has that weaved <laughs> into it, right? Mm -hmm. yes. And and so I, I agree that sleep is a huge thing. These kids are on their screens late at night. They've got their phones in their rooms. They have their notifications dinging all night long. And yeah, and, and I talked to parents too about how, you know, the number one most important thing we can do for our mental health is to sleep. And so I think that's a great point um, about sleep. Yeah, absolutely. We just, and, and again, just a little side note, but in my household, phone gets quote taken away mm -hmm, right at mm -hmm. a certain time at night mm -hmm. um and and for my older one it gets there's a small table outside the room with a charger mm -hmm. on it mm -hmm. that is not necessarily in our room but it so he feels like we're not completely intrusive right but, but if i ever you know go up at nighttime after he's supposed to be in bed and mm -hmm. that's not there there's a problem right, right? Mm -hmm. so and i think um, it's important that we talk to young parents with young children about this because Doing that from the beginning is so important. When you try to take a teenager's phone who's had their phone for years in their room and then you're like taking it out, that leads to a lot of, you know, 
aggravation and fighting and whatever, but starting from a young age, it just makes it like a rule, right? It's just not in the room. So I think we as PCPs need to be better about talking about social media and device use from a very young age so that it just normalizes the conversation, right? If we try to take it away later, that makes it a lot more difficult, so. That's a great point and probably something we don't think about to talk, you know, to parents of five, six, seven-year-olds, just like, hey, this is something to think about because down the line, these are the effects that it could have and if Mm -hmm. you set that standard now, so I think it's a, that is a, Super wonderful point. Right, because they walk into your office with their iPad, right? I mean, they like every, I see babies on phones in the office. So, you know, it it starts when they're very young. Absolutely. So, definitely. So, along those lines, um, the American Academy of Pediatrics um, partnered with AT&T to create a family media plan. So, you can actually, in the office, pull this up and walk through with families of children as well as adolescents different components of social media safety to to have the conversation and then have a concrete plan for families when they leave. So this includes like who's involved in the family, what are the family's priorities related to media use, balance with media use. So like, are we not gonna have electronics at the dinner table, sleep, those types of things. How are we going to communicate about concerns on social media as well as how to demonstrate kindness and empathy if you see something on social media where someone's expressing a struggle or a concern, digital privacy and safety, and um, debunking some of those myths about parents not having the right or the um, ability to access what their youth are doing on their devices. Um, I often see that in my practice where, well, I don't want to like invade their privacy, those types of things. And at the same time, we have to have that level of oversight to make sure that they're making good decisions. And then we can taper that as time goes on as well as um, screen-free times and making choices regarding content and then using media together. So it's really such a comprehensive um, way to create a media plan with families and then you can adapt that um, when you log into this program during the patient's next visit. So I think it's just such a great way to have that conversation and so the family has something tangible to follow when they're leaving the office. And I actually just did that yesterday because I, I was looking through it. and <laughs> I was, the same plan. The family media oh, cool. plan, right? Yeah. So it's so you can get it through healthychildren.org yep. or the AAP also this summer started a center of excellence um, for social media and youth mental health, which is a great resource for both families and providers to awesome. get content and information about youth and social media and you can find the family media plan there as well but it's very quick you can sign in you put your family name you put the different members of your family so I have one adult child at home I have another adult child that's married so clearly he wasn't on the family media plan (laughs) but I just went through yesterday to have to see what it was all about and it's very easy to click through and then you print it out you can put it on the refrigerator it's got different people's names so maybe this one child you might have certain aspects of their device use that you want to emphasize and another person you don't but the other thing that I think is really important about this because we know that modeling is very important and that um, children are going to look at and model how parents are using their social media and so this doesn't just put the onus only on the children this also is a family media plan for the parents so the parents saying I'm going to have a screen-free day the parents saying I'm going to put my phone down at dinner and that is what I think we need to be encouraging our families and our parents to model these behaviors for these adolescents and for these young kids that is such a great point yeah yeah absolutely 
Um, and we can go ahead and link the site, the healthychildren.org site, and the family um, media plan from the AAP to this mm -hmm. um, podcast page. Mm -hmm. So thank you. Um, and so, you know, we've already touched on a little bit of the negative aspects of um, social media use, and I think we've focused on that. Um, there definitely are some positives, and I don't want to, you know, not everything's negative, right? And I think, Nicole, you had um, touched a little bit on this in the beginning in terms of sharing appropriate information, mm -hmm. correct mm -hmm. information, mm -hmm. correct health information, which is a huge focus for you. Mm -hmm. um, but any other positives to share in terms of adolescent or teen social media use things that, you know, may actually be beneficial for them? I mean, I think for youth who are in marginalized uh, groups, so especially LGBTQ youth can often find communities on social media that they can't sometimes find in their own environment or their own school. So that can be very helpful. I actually think, you know, during the pandemic, it was plus minus, right? So I think we got a lot more kids on social media, but also those kids that maybe were home from school could have connections with people that they weren't able to get outside of the home. So there are positives of that. I think the youth now are also much more apt to understand social justice causes because of what they're seeing online. That can also have downsides, right? Because that can cause some um, distress in, in certain youth. But I do think there can be really positive aspects of community and um, social connectedness that do happen on social media. So it's not all bad. Right, right. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, I completely agree, Dr. Baldwin. I think it's about um, the amount of time and then having that parental oversight and those open conversations about what youth are accessing on their devices because you're right, there's so many positives. And if we're able to provide that um, scaffolding so that youth are making appropriate decisions or good decisions on those devices through modeling and things, as you mentioned, um, then it can improve the um, social connectedness as well as self-esteem because this is uh, social support is such a fundamental component of adolescent development. Um, and then just to, to kind of share a little bit more of um, experience, um, Dr. Baldwin, I was going to <laughs> kind of come back to you when we sure. talked about all the wonderful, correct medical information you do <laughs> share. Um, but if you can give us just kind of a brief overview, and I know that's a really, really hard question <laughs> because brief is probably... Not hard a good do. word yeah. or hard to do with, <laughs> with what you experience, but mm -hmm. kind of share a little bit about what spurred mm -hmm. you into really having such a big um, social media and online presence mm -hmm. and, and to be kind of our expert, you know, today <laughs> of um, experience for general pediatricians. So. Yeah, I think so for people who aren't familiar with my story, um, I have been using social media to educate parents and adolescents for years, um, actually started in 2014. But then in 2020, in January, actually, I joined this little app we might know called TikTok uh, <laughs> that was newer at the time and uh, posted a video about vaccines and how vaccines don't cause autism. And that video actually went viral on several different platforms, on TikTok, on Twitter, on Facebook. 
And I found myself subject to uh, a major um, cyberbullying attack across the entire world. Um, I got comments from everywhere, New Zealand, Australia, things like that, death threats. Um, people called our office, threatened to come to our practice. It was, it was frightening. And I look back on it. And so certainly that kind of catapulted my um, social media presence, number one. It also kind of gave me a lot of, I don't know the right word. Um, it just made me want to do this even more. And um, so I think about, and I was actually talking recently to a patient who had um, experienced some cyberbullying themselves. And the what I went through as an adult with support system and the executive functioning to be able to kind of deal with the trauma of that and to think about this child who was not even in high school and dealt with very similar aspects. It's really frightening how much people will say online what, you know, they will um, do. So there there can be some pretty scary aspects of it. And it's important to educate our teens about that, to to talk with them, have open dialogue. I think, you know, this patient that I saw was getting, t people were telling them to commit suicide. They were detailing how they were going to attack them. And um, that is very frightening. And it's important that those teenagers know they have, they can come to a parent or, you know, if they come to a friend that that friend would go to an adult and talk to someone because people can be pretty nasty. It's wild to think because I know you went through so much, mm -hmm. um, but as you said, to think of a teenager who maybe mm -hmm. doesn't have that support system right. or still has this longing to please everyone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I say all the time when I am talking to my adolescent patients, you know, at their checkups, I don't think you could pay me to go back to my teenage years. <laughs> I mean, they were fun, right. but it's a lot, right? right? And so then you add this huge you know, online and social media presence into the mix of an already difficult time. And right. it's just like, wow, I can't, I can't imagine being a teenager when everything you see and do is just available to everyone. Right. So and I, and I think the challenge wild. we face right now in this generation, I'll be interested to see how things go in 20 years, right? Because we're, as parents, we were not faced with this as, no. as teenagers. So we're flying blind, trying to give anticipatory guidance, trying to, to guide these youth in something that we didn't experience. And now I'm starting to see, and I'm sure you are too, Jill, um, these younger parents who did grow up with social media are now having babies. And I think that they're going to do a better job at educating their children because they've lived it, right? Yeah, and I so, hope so. I, I hope they I hope they do yeah. too. But I um I I do feel like I see them keeping screens away from their children more and guarding that more because they understand what they went through. So it's it's an yes. interesting transition time that we're in right now. Will be, will be very interesting mm -hmm. to see. So and then just kind of moving along maybe for some very specific guidance um, Dr. Young, do you have any suggestions for general pediatricians in the office at an adolescent or teen um, well child check to kind of assess social media safety? Or maybe, you know, we have a, I always think, gosh, we have a, such a limited amount of time to talk about, you know, all of our heads exam, right? Um, and, you know, how to intertwine some questions regarding social media safety and some, some guidance for us to give to our patients. 
Absolutely. And I always tell my primary care colleagues, I don't know how you all um, accomplish everything that you do during a well child check. There is just so much information to cover and adding social media to that um, in addition to assessing for mental and behavioral health is such um, a big task. And so when I think about social media use and screening for that in primary care, really having your high level questions that um, align with the HEADS exam and the extension for the, the social media screening component. Um, so like asking what social media apps kids are typically using and then how much use there they have each day. Often they don't realize how much time they're on social media. And I've had teens pull their phone up to look on their iPhones <laughs> to show mm-hmm. me. They're just like, oh, no, it's like, you know, 90 minutes. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Usually it's double or triple. So let's pull out the phone and let's take a peek. I mean, I know I get weekly notifications. Yes. Your right. screen time is up or down from last week. I'm like, wow. Yeah. makes me feel terrible when it's yeah. up, right? Absolutely. So. And that can be even helpful for families who don't have a full appreciation for how much time the the youth is spending on the device. There's so many factors that impact parental and caregiver ability to provide that level of oversight. We know that families are often working multiple jobs or there's extended family members as caregivers. And so uh, the caregivers who are bringing patients to these appointments may not have a pulse on the use. So having them pull that up during the, the visit can be incredibly helpful to have the opportunity to say, all right, this is where your use has been over the past kind of couple months. And really looking at using or the use of time Over two hours a day is a lot. Um, I think the teens that I work with, and Dr. Baldwin, I'm sure this is um, true for you as well, think like, oh, it's only a couple hours a day. It's like, well, that's actually a lot. What time of day are you using this? And also assessing for is social media use disrupting, you know, aspects of their daily life that are so crucial for development. Would they be on social media instead of spending time in person with friends? Does that impact physical activity? Does it impact homework or academic time, involvement in extracurricular activities? Those are crucial because social media ideally should be an adjunct to those everyday developmental experiences we would hope that our youth would have, not in place of those everyday developmental experiences. Also asking about the impact on self-esteem is crucial because if youth are on social media platforms are involved in different groups on these platforms that are sending negative messaging about their identity um, or their different experiences in their life. And that can significantly impact self-esteem, which we know has been associated with negative mental health outcomes long-term. And also asking questions about cyberbullying. Dr. Baldwin, you had shared, and I really appreciate you sharing that experience. That is such an important question to ask because often teens will say, well, it's not really bullying. But when you dive in and you start to ask some of those questions about how long did this happen, what were the things that people said? Has anyone ever said that you should kill yourself or you shouldn't exist? Those are really important questions to have because often caregivers aren't privy to that information because the conversation's not being had. I agree with you, Dr. Baldwin, in that we're at a really interesting place with generational changes with social media use, but often families still don't have that level of knowledge because the conversation isn't happening at such a a detailed level. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd love to see, like you said, in 20 years how that (laughs) changes, though. And also things like sexting. I know that we don't love to talk about sexual activity in adolescence, but sexting is something that I see a lot with my teens, especially my teens who have experienced trauma or sexual abuse, or there's different um, family dynamics or different interpersonal traumas that have happened, and that's just such a crucial question to ask because um, the teens can be at risk for other um, forms of victimization. So those would be the things that I would highly recommend covering during that those annual well visits. Absolutely. Um, and then just some other things, and obviously I have no 
financial association or affiliation with any, but, you know, we discussed having the social media plan, which I think is great. But for parents to know there are monitoring services, you know, I think Bark is a big one that a lot of people use um, that just can flag different, you know, terms that are used in text, things that are used on social media. Um, and then I think just very good and honest communication mm -hmm. with your kids, right? You know, I can tell you right now, if I went home and tried to talk to my teenager, it would not be fun, right? But, <laughs> right. but it's important to do it, right? right? Instead of just avoiding that conversation because mm -hmm. he's not going to love it. It's going to be uncomfortable. Um, and, you know, having, following your child, right? Friending your child. Yes. I mean, mm -hmm. So you know what they're posting. You know what's out there. Um, you guys mentioned with the social media plan setting some no screen times. Um, you know, little little tools I think just for parents as well about like you know location sharing things like that mm -hmm. we don't always just think of you know people that can get online besides the bullying aspect but they can actually you know find out specifics about identity or locations right. of our children things like that so just being being very careful and making sure that you know we really monitor these things and I'm sitting here saying all of this going I need to go home right. and check this <laughs> but, I think um, it's also important to talk to our youth about only accepting people that they know um, on social media I think that I try to talk to youth and, and parents about, you know, people are posing as a 13-year-old girl or, you know, a 14-year-old boy or whatever. Um, I think in the lines of um, sex, uh, like sexting, sextortion, yeah. too, yep. is, a, is a big deal. And Absolutely. I talk to adolescents about that a lot, knowing that if, you know, if someone is trying to get you to send photos, and maybe you do, and then they're trying to get money from you, do not ever be afraid to tell somebody about that you know there Definitely. are stories in the media we've seen of children who've taken their lives because of you know a sextortion um, event so I think it's important to have those conversations like you said and to have them often you know it's just like how we talk about talking about sex right yeah. you just mm -hmm. you talk For about sure. it often it's not a one-off conversation we need to start when they're young having these conversations and to continue to talk about it and and just try to encourage that open dialogue, which is almost impossible with an adolescent child. <laughs> but it is what it is, right? Like you said, the more you hear about it, I right. mean, I, I almost even think of years ago, I remember someone telling me, a physician saying like, you know, studies show the more you talk to someone about not smoking, the more positive impact that would have on them. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the same thing. Like yeah. the more you just talk about that, like right. the more positive, even if you don't feel like the conversation is easier, goes the way you want it to, just that they know this is the stance and that my parents can, you know, right. talk to me about it and yeah. that they're open about it and those lines of communication are there. Right, yeah. So. Um, any red flags that we should be aware of as primary care physicians? Maybe just certain things that the child might say. And this is, you know, maybe there's nothing more specific than what we've already discussed in terms of, you know, cyberbullying, extortion mm -hmm. you mentioned. Um, but anything in particular that we should watch for in the office or red flags? I don't know if Dr. Young, you have some info to add to this? I would say um, thinking about teens who get really dysregulated when their device um, could be removed or parents could access it, that's typically a red flag for me. 
Um, I really think about this in two different ways. It could be, as Dr. Baldwin had mentioned earlier, that limits hadn't been placed on the device throughout childhood, and so now we're trying to place limits, which is still concerning because that suggests more permissive caregiving and like difficulty potentially putting limits on those devices, which is an opportunity for intervention. It also can include some of those more risky um, social media behaviors that teens don't necessarily want folks to know about for a multitude of different reasons. So I would say that would be one of my first red flags. And then um, looking at how the social media or any type of electronic use impacts daily life, like I had mentioned before with physical activity, school attendance, um, interaction with peers, things like that. Um, I often see kids for school refusal, secondary to social anxiety, and they're home all day on their devices, which is incredibly reinforcing. So um, that's another kind of red flag for me. Not necessarily that the social media or electronic use is negative per se, but it's having a functional impact in terms of this kid's kiddo's daily um, functioning, which is definitely a cause for concern from my perspective. I completely agree, and I'm actually thinking of an example of you know, someone that was getting bullied at school, so parent pulled them out to mm-hmm. homeschool them. Mm-hmm. And then the next problem was exactly what you said, where mm-hmm. they were just on their device all day long, mm-hmm. not online getting their schoolwork done. And then you're right, kind of, well, now we've done the opposite, probably expose them to even more bullying and just negative mm-hmm. effects of social media mm-hmm. than they might have even been getting know in school so just oh it's tough right so just thinking kind of in closing are there any additional words of wisdom or pearls that we can give our teenage patients or their parents um, in regards to online safety and social media I would say not to assume that your child or teen is ready for social media or electronics Um, This is variable. You know, you may have one child who is very, very mature, um, straight A student, gets their assignments and all the time, and you may have another one who struggles with impulsivity and um, consequences. And so really thinking through what are those different components of readiness for each of your children is essential. And there's another resource that was developed by the American Academy of Pediatrics and AT&T to help caregivers identify when their child or teen is ready for electronics and social media use. It's called the phone ready questionnaire and includes 10 different questions. It asks things about what would the phone or device be used for, such as safety, communicating at extracurricular activities, as well as putting the onus back on the caregivers asking questions such as, are you ready to manage your child's or use technology use? Because this isn't just like, oh, they're ready and we never look at their device again. Um, Because we know that we have to empower caregivers to feel confident um, that they can address these concerns with their teens and also monitor these devices. So with this questionnaire, it also provides caregivers three different zones that include the ready zone, almost ready zone, or not yet ready. And then there includes recommendations based on those zones for what caregivers can do to work with their child or teen to help them get ready to be able to access and utilize these resources appropriately. And it also includes resources to help caregivers navigate parental control settings. I grew up with social media and I find parental control settings to be overwhelming myself. (laughs) I feel like teens always find a way around them. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've tended to recommend the Bark Phone for families in those situations because it just provides such a high level of um, oversight for caregivers. So like if there's different words or different photos that are sent that'll trigger responses to caregivers. And again, it's providing that high level of supervision and structure as a scaffold so that as 
the youth is demonstrating like appropriate use, caregivers are continuing to have those conversations that those limits or restrictions can be weaned over time. So I would say, um, again, just empowering caregivers to really be involved in their child or use electronic use. And I think these are some great resources to help them achieve that. And I love that. I love thinking about having that conversation with the teen and the parent in the room because I like to say all the time, and I kind of tease, but I say, I talk about these things, and then the child always looks at the parent like, oh, you know. And I say, yeah. you know what? You can blame it on me. Yeah. That's okay. Don't. You're hearing this conversation. I'm telling your parent this is the important thing to do. Blame it on me. Mm-hmm. When you have to have these conversations or when they have to talk to you about these things, remember, mm-hmm. like, it's not just them. Like, they're hearing me say this is super important for your health and for your safety as well. Mm-hmm. So I love that idea to really empower the caregivers and for them to hear with their child there. Um how important it is. Mm -hmm. And also to normalize that response. Teens are not going to want this level of oversight from their caregivers. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's developmentally appropriate. They're trying to develop autonomy and their identity. And even though they don't want it, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be doing it Mm -hmm. as caregivers. Yeah, I was going to say my my pearl would be talking to continue to have these conversations and to even model in our office curiosity. I think that teenagers respond a lot more with parents being curious rather than lecturing them saying hey what are you seeing on social media talk to me about you know teach me about this i don't know you know what is this discord app what is that what does that mean rather than just shutting them down or saying i'm not familiar with this so you absolutely can't have it i would really caution parents you know any like straight shutting them down of social media is going to lead these kids to like sneak things this happened to me very recently in a kid in the office that we pulled up their phone to see what their social media usage was and I was like oh you're only spending 30 minutes a day on TikTok and the mom's like they're not supposed to have TikTok and I was like whoops (laughs) Um, so I think that it's important again with the oversight but also having these conversations of why we're you know why we want to talk about this what's important and not to just shut it down but educate them and offer these limits and reasons why we're doing that right and the opportunities just as you're saying to try that under the supervision that is so crucial because if Mm -hmm. you just shut it down when they turn 18 then they have access to this whole wide web and they don't have the skills necessarily to navigate that because they didn't have those continued conversations and oversight Mm -hmm. uh, during the earlier teen years Mm -hmm. definitely well this has been a wonderful conversation and very enlightening and I think we've gotten some very um, great examples and some guidance for our primary care pediatricians and you know different things to think about and to talk to their patients and their parents so I want to thank both of you for being here it was wonderful um, you both shared some some different and great perspectives on and some great information sharing. So um, thank you. And then I I do want to mention that um, I think we can probably link both um, the Healthy Children, the Social Media Family Plan, and and the Phone Readiness Plan to the bottom of the podcast as well as an additional resource for our listeners. So thank you, Dr. Young. Thank you, Dr. Baldwin, for being here. We appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having us.